So before the next break, I would like to share some general suggestions how to continue this path of discovery. And right from the beginning, it might be helpful that you become aware that within the different spirit traditions, in the Tibetan tradition and the Christian tradition, in what you could call Hinduism, that in these traditions, there's, you can find two different views. And one view is the progressive view, the gradual path view. That's actually the majority of the teachings within Buddhism fall into the category of progressive path view. So that view says something like, you are not there yet, and if you do this and this and that, then you will get there in the future, whatever that is. Uh, if you're very modest, then maybe to be relaxed, to be more relaxed, because I, right now I'm not relaxed, and I, I, I bought myself this book on how to relax, and they tell me things I need to do, and then in the future there will be this wonderful experience of relaxation. Maybe for a Christian progressive path practitioner that would be heaven, yeah? Like, okay, if I'm a good boy, a good girl, and I do what, what they say, then in the end there will be the reward and I will be in heaven. And there's, in the Buddhist tradition, I mean, just in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, there's uh, quite a few of maps, you know, different kinds of maps who map out this uh, progressive path, this gradual path, this step-by-step -step path. And it's beautiful. But then you also find in this tradition what you could call the direct path, or sometimes it's also called the sudden enlightenment path. So the direct path in the in the Tibetan Tantric teaching, particularly in the Mahamudra and Sokshin teachings, they say something like, you know, what I said and what I quoted this weekend. Yeah? I started this weekend with the quote of uh, Lama Yeshe saying, you have everything available in this moment in order to be complete, to come to the end of seeking, you just need to recognize this. So it's kind of the mystic, a direct pointing out, a direct sharing of the mystic experience, of the experience of oneness, the non-dual experience. That's where the in the Nyingma tradition of Tibetan Buddhism, the Dzogchen practice, what this, uh, this, this technique relies upon, it relies upon a direct pointing out from master to student of the sky. And the practice is then to uh, return to that experience and to deepen it. So short moments of recognition repeated again and again until they become continuous. And if they are continuous, then other people would call you a Buddha. So what to do? I already said that's very 
different um, for different people because we all bring a different karmic condition with us and it just doesn't work this idea that we just need to follow the footstep steps of another person because it might be not our path our path comes into existence by walking it and of course we have guardians and guides and protectors so there's actually a lot of things you can do on the conditioned level. So in, in a traditional Buddhist, uh, Tibetan Buddhist context, that is called accumulating of merit and purification, healing. But, uh, you know, whatever that is for you, you know, if you are a yoga practitioner, if you are into psychotherapy, and if you are into bodywork, so, Amasopa said once, uh, Dharma is what helps. Yeah. So, I mean, he is also in Feng Shui and stuff like that. So, and if it's suitable for you uh, and you, it makes you feel confident or protected if you take your seat in one tradition, uh, that's, uh, that's a good place for a few, for, for some, like I'm, like for me, yeah? so my seat is in the Goluk tradition of Tibetan Buddhism. But it's not necessary. It's most, quite often it's rather an obstacle. Particularly if you are like a funda, if you tend to be a bit fundamentalistic, like so, whatever you can practice in terms of creating the conditions, creating a healthy vessel through body work, through I mean, in the Tibetan tradition, that would be the preliminary practices, yeah. prostrations, offerings, and, and all that stuff. It's completely useless in terms of trying to get there, yeah, because you can't get where you are already. So it doesn't help with awakening, in a way. But it has its provisional benefits, and it might... Not sure, but it might, that's the idea, it might increase the probability for this shift of grace to happen. It seems to kind of work in... I, I'm not sure if the evidence is strong enough to kind of try to convince people to become a Tibetan Buddhist practitioner and do the whole thing. I think the evidence is a bit weak that there's a correlation between doing that stuff and awakening. But, uh, I mean, it was good enough for me and it is still good enough for me.
and anyway i have to do something with my time and uh, and why not doing prostrations yeah so it's a, it's at least healthy for the body what helps on a on a rational intellectual level in this on this journey is to cultivate some interest in the teachings on emptiness and i think probably you will find the most clear teachings on emptiness within the buddhist tradition it's not the realization of emptiness I, it, it, some uh, some tibetan traditions would say without a valid correct understanding intellectual understanding of emptiness there's no way that you're going to have an experience i doubt that but uh, that's what they say so but it helps because also it helps you to not run into this trap uh, to see awareness as something you can find as something which truly exists now that's the view in 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 vedanta often that there is something which is something you know like brahman or something like that something you can find and, and and so that trap is prevented in the Buddhist teachings through the teachings on emptiness, and they are not that easy, and it takes some time to study them and to reflect upon them. But even an intellectual understanding, a pure rational understanding of emptiness, adds to the lightness in your life. So then, so let's say we are we are doing that provisional healing developmental project, yeah? and I guess most of us, in one way or other, are into that. I mean, from I don't know what to crystals and astrology, or you know, enneagram, or therapeutical methods, or you know, whatever. But you have to be aware, none of, this, none of this will bring you home. It's provisional. These are placebos for people who imagine that they exist and they have illusionary problems. So the, the, that kind of practice can bring us to that threshold which I have been talking about, yeah? this threshold. And some of us might need to swim around in this threshold, circle around this threshold for years and years, maybe for lives. So a big part of uh, this path is developing a patience and an endurance of this hearing it again and not understanding it again and going back and doing some some more healing some more trauma work and then going back and and just but just keep keep on swimming there keep on swimming there and you can still enjoy and benefit from the provisional practices but you return 
to that threshold. So what seems to be uh, one factor which helps us uh, to go beyond that thresh threshold is uh, going into spaces which we create right now. There is some magic in that. And in the Tibetan tradition, they would even say, without this, no, no, no way. And if something, someone wakes up, like out of the blue, the Tibetans would say, yeah, yeah, but he got that already in previous lives. And that's why it's just a ripening of something he, he, he received and he was pointed to in, in past lives. So what are these fields uh, which we can uh, which we can uh, bring this this being which carries your name into yeah? just like bring this body <laughs> into into uh, into fields like that yeah? sometimes it's connected with places. I underestimated that factor for many, many years. But then I have spent now, for example, some time in Gomde, in, in Denmark, or in Özeling, in Spain, in the Sierra Nevada, and I was really, wow. There is something there. And, and, and for, for quite some years I was thinking, there's no need to go anywhere. It's everywhere. So why would I go to India and sit in a cave where someone else meditated? <laughs> it's uh, stupid. I, I saved the flight and the money and the hassle of traveling in India and things like that. And I can just do it in 7-Eleven. Uh, but I think I was a bit, bit uh, mistaken there. I, I don't know. So I... There is something in, in, in certain places, particularly in places where this insights had arisen in, in, in awareness. It kind of sticks in the rocks or something like that. So, and then there's this kind of, uh, you know, teachings. So if you want to, uh, keep it within the Tibetan tradition. Uh, that would be in the Gluk tradition, the Mahamudra practice, and then the Dzogchen practices in the Nyingma tradition. So you would uh, seek out teachings like that, meetings like that. And I also would recommend if it's not too, you know, if you don't feel too un unloyal to your own, you know, the, the, the tradition you have taken your seat in, uh, to look into the mystic or non-dual teachings in other traditions. I found that very, very helpful. I always did. So the whole non-dual satsang kind of stuff. It might be helpful because 
and you still can do your Tibetan Buddhist stuff, of course, uh, but um, you know we all respond to different pointers and to different ways of talking to different words in a different way. And someone from the Advaita Vedanta tradition might say something which you never heard in that way, exactly in that way, from a Tibetan teacher. But it just kind of clicks, it fits. And then returning to your to, to the tradition where you're coming from, you suddenly realize, hey, they're talking about this. They just they just make other words, but now I know what they are talking about. So initially I made it easy for myself, so I chose um, teachers who were within the Buddhist tradition, yeah? so non-dual teachers who have a background in the, in, in the Buddhist tradition. It made it a bit easier for me. And also it increases the trust factor, which is a big thing. I mean, if you go into a field like this, more you trust the teacher, not as a person, not demanding that this, on a relative condition level, that the teacher is perfect, but you trust uh, his recognition. And we are untrust. I mean, it's difficult for us to trust because we have been betrayed. So there is an aspect in us which is like, I don't trust anyone. They all want to have my money or they want me to become part of the club or they want something from me. It's not possible that they just share out of, out of nothing. There must be something there. There must be a hook. There must be, it's dangerous. So to build up that trust, uh, uh, that takes time. And for me, it was easier to find that trust. So after Lama Sopa, my, the most important teacher in my life is uh, Peter Fenner. And he, he, is, he is not moving within the Buddhist field, but he's a student of Lama Yesha. And he studied Nagarjuna. He wrote his PhD uh, uh, around Nagarjuna. So I had a trust in him that that what he is sharing is uh, validated through the tradition and through his training and through his background. Another non-dual teacher with a Buddhist background is Loch Kelly, is his name. He's also a psychotherapist. So that is also for me part of trusting someone, that there is some interest in, in, in Western therapy, in Western psychology, some appreciation of that is thinking around this which is embedded into Western culture. And then another uh, non-dual teacher with a Buddhist background is Adyashanti. So like he is kind of a big guy, probably you have heard his name. But, but So that's the, the kind of uh, teachers I, I choose to relate to. And that's the thing. You need to relate to this kind of teacher. You can't just read the book. I mean, you you should read the books. That's good. It's helpful. But there needs to be some kind of relationship, I think. Well, at least that's what I benefited from.
So that's like, at least that's kind of what I what I what I'm doing or what I did, uh, benefiting from the provisional practices within the tradition I practice, or the healing modalities I'm interested in, studying emptiness, and then connecting with non-dual with the space of non-dual teachings and to make and 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 do that i mean i'm also watching videos and stuff like that and it's it's great uh, but possible to establish some kind of relationships and this doesn't mean to a, like a fully enlightened master or something like that it's enough to to have a relationship to some some students who are emerging themselves in this and who have glimpses and who share their experiences so that's very powerful